Well, let's go ahead and get into our lesson for today. So we are actually finishing up our study on the book of Philippians today. This is going to be our finale, and uh, I have had such a good time throughout this series. I love being able to do what we've done, which is just get into a book of the Bible, unpack it, learn about it, discover the truth held within. And uh, so it's been great to do that. And throughout this series, we've gotten a bunch of different perspectives. I think we've had four or five different speakers, and it's always just fun to hear from, from different outlooks. Last week, I loved Christopher's message, and in fact, all week I've been thinking about... He's not in the room. You don't have to clap. I've been thinking about what prison I've been putting myself in and how I can declare over that. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And so I'm still kind of pondering that and applying that, but what an awesome message it was. But we're going to get into um, this one today. Now, just real quickly, so Christopher actually finished up the letter last week. So he, he covered the end of the letter. What we're going to do is we're going to go a little bit backwards, and we're going to go to the top of chapter 4, and that's where we're going to end. Um, so we did that for a couple of different reasons. Number one, because early in the series, we had, um, we had a service where we didn't get to the message, so it kind of threw everything off uh, after it. But in reality, it worked out perfectly because this set of scriptures that we are going through today has had the biggest impact on my life more than any other set of scriptures in the Bible. And so to end on this is perfectly applicable for me, and I'm excited to get into some of those things. So we're going to go to chapter 4. We're going to read from verses 4 all the way uh, to verse 9. So much good stuff in here. So get your notes ready. Get your highlighters ready. By the way, we will have sermon notes on all of this. So when you leave, there will be QR codes. Scan that. Download the notes. I've got some additional uh, scriptures and quotes in there that I promise you'll love. So make sure you do that. But let's jump in. Verse 4. This is what Paul writes to the Philippians. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Let me pause real quick. We won't have time to get into this scripture today, but I want you to highlight, let your gentle spirit be known to all men. Just think on that, ponder that, apply that. That's a lot of good stuff in there. Verse six, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence, and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Right. Now, before we begin to unpack that, just a quick side note. I would encourage you this week uh, at some point to go read Matthew chapter 6. Put that down. Uh, go read through that chapter of the Bible, and what you will notice is that it is almost a mere image of this particular set of scriptures. There are a ton of parallels, a ton of the same principles held within. So if you want to see this from a different perspective, and particularly from the words of Christ, then go read Matthew 6 and dig in, and I promise you'll get a lot out of that. But as we read through this set of, of scriptures here, there is one particular symptom and emotion 
that really stands out like a, a sore thumb. There's something right in the middle here that always catches my attention, and that is the idea of anxiety, all right? Paul says, do not be anxious about anything, all right? Be anxious for nothing. So obviously, this audience that he's writing to is struggling in this area, okay? They're full of anxiety. He's trying to help them through this endeavor. Now, when I say the word anxiety, I think many of us would willingly throw our hands in the air and be like, yep, I know what that's about. I know what that's like. In fact, I've got diagnosed chronic anxiety. Trust me, I, I, I know this well. But the word here that Paul uses is actually a little bit broader than maybe what we would understand today, because he's simply pointing to like general worries and concerns and stresses in this life that we shouldn't be focused on. That's really what he's talking about. So if you are a human being in the room or listening online, this applies to you, okay? Paul is speaking to us. And throughout this, he's gonna give us three different actions that we can take to try to overcome these worries and these anxieties in our life. In fact, he goes through three actions and one response to those actions. And so that's how we're gonna break this down and approach it today. Now, I want to encourage you um, to not just treat these as another set of titles or another set of bullet points in your notes. I am begging you to apply these things to your life, okay? So please be serious about it. I promise you from personal experience, it will change you, okay? So the first action that Paul points us to as it relates to overcoming these worries and anxieties in our life is that we need to rejoice, all right, we need to be a people who rejoice. He says this in verse four, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say rejoice. So even in this one verse, he's already repeated himself. But the truth is, this is not the first, nor is it the last time he uses this word within this letter. In fact, in this one small little letter to the Philippians, he uses this word nine different times. Nine times he tells them to rejoice. So obviously there's something here he's trying to get across to these people that they need to apply to their lives. Now this word in the original language has two primary meanings and connotations attached to it, okay? Both of which are very important, but they do have some distinctions. So I wanna talk about both of them. The first meaning of rejoice here is this deep inner sense of joy, all right? It's like an internal foundation of joy. In other words, he's not talking about momentary gladness. Um, he's not talking about temporary happiness, riding the roller coaster of joy. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about a deep, unshakable lifestyle of joy which is why he says rejoice in the Lord. That's why he says that, because what he's trying to say is if you want that type of unshakable joy, he is the source of it, okay? He's the provider of it, and so you need to go to him. In fact, as we look to the fruit of the Spirit, what the Spirit produces in and through us, what's one of the first things we see is joy. Over and over again, Paul's going to point us to God and say, hey, if you want this joy, you need to head in this direction. 
Which means this idea of rejoicing is not based off of our temperament or whatever mood we're in on a given day, all right? That's not the source of our joy, nor is it the the circumstance that we find ourselves in or the situations in life, good or bad. That's not the source of our joy. The source is ultimately in Christ. And so that's where we're going to go. So when Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, that's exactly what we're going to do. We're going to go to him. When he says, rest in me, we're going to rest in him. When he says, abide in me, we're going to make our dwelling place with Jesus because he's the source of these things. In fact, in John chapter 15, one of my favorite chapters in the entire Bible, Jesus goes on this discourse about abide in me, abide in me. Over and over again, he says this. Watch how he finishes that in verse 11. He says, these things I have spoken to you. Why? That my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So what he's saying is abide in me, make your home with me and your joy will be full. You you don't have to worry about it being broken, being shaken. Your joy will be full. Paul knows this better than anybody, right? How many times have we said he's in prison as he's writing this? This is a man who has been through so many things in his life. It never shakes his joy. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say rejoice. That's the first sense of this word. The second is the idea of celebration, All right. In fact, there are some translators who would say, celebrate in the Lord always. Again, I will say, celebrate. I like this so much. In fact, first century historians would tell you that this is actually the heavier sense of the word in which Paul uses here because in this culture and in this context, celebrating was really crucial uh, to their lifestyle. It was a really central part of who they were. And it didn't matter whether you were Roman or whether you were Greek or whether you were Jewish. This was relevant for all of them. They would, they would have these great festivals where they would come together and they would just celebrate together. Um, They would have these sporting events and these games where they would come together and they would celebrate. Even just in their moment-by-moment, day-by-day lives, they knew how to enjoy this life. And so Paul is at least partly saying, if all of these people have reason to celebrate, if they have reason to rejoice, how much more do we have reason to celebrate given what we know about Jesus, given what we know about who he is and what he's accomplished and what he's done for us. In fact, shouldn't we be the ones like setting the tone here for how to truly enjoy this life and celebrate within it? Shouldn't that be who we are given what we know about Jesus? Celebrating does something kind of special to the heart, doesn't it? It it, it kind of orients your perspective. It can build faith and unity unlike anything else. And yet, let's be honest, it's something we've kind of largely been missing out on as the church. It's, It's the truth, because here's the thing. As Christians, we have a tendency to keep things pretty somber and pretty heavy and and pretty melancholy. Like you think about a lot of the songs that we sing, a lot of the messages that we have. This is kind of where we tend to go. And I think the reason is, is because far too often we get caught up in the problems and in the issues and in the trials. And, and, And there's reason for that. Like people are going through serious things. We feel like we have the answer to that. And so it makes sense that we would step in to those situations. Here's the thing though, even when God does provide for those problems and those issues and those trials, we don't even celebrate those wins typically. We don't even rejoice in those victories 
Here's the truth. We don't live in what Christ has truly accomplished for us. And then what happens is we end up with this, well, I just got to hold on till the end type of mentality. That's where so many of us find ourselves. And yet we're the ones who are supposed to know the greatest news this world has ever heard. We're supposed to be the ones who are free indeed. We're the ones who are supposed to have life and have it abundantly. That's supposed to be who we are. And I think it's about time we started acting like it. It's about time we started living like that. Celebrate who God is and what he's done for us. In fact, Alexander McLaren once said this, a gloomy, melancholy, professing Christian is a poor recommendation of his faith. (laughs) Now that stings when you read that for the first time. But isn't that the truth? I think many of us are in that place. People know that we believe in Christ and what he's done for us, and yet they're looking at our lives and our perspectives, and they're like, what what, what do you, I thought you were faith-filled. Like, where's the joy and where's the celebration, right? I think many of us are in that place. Now, does that mean we have to always be chipper and upbeat? No, it doesn't mean that. What it does mean is that we should always have an inner disposition that says, man, God is good. Look at what he's done for me. Look at what he's made available to me. He's so amazing. And if we had that, think about what would spring forth from our hearts and our minds. Think about the joy and celebration we could live within if that was truly where we found ourselves to be. This is the first action. We need to rejoice. We need to celebrate in the Lord and see what that does for our perspective, okay? Here's the second thing. And this one is really obvious, even just as you skim through this. And that is we need to pray, All right, we need to be a people of prayer. This is what he says in verse six. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. It's pretty clear what he is trying to kind of nudge us toward. And so let me make this really simple, really applicable, okay? You can grab onto this, you can take it with you. Here's what I would encourage you to do. Pray every day, all right? Radical, right? Pray every day. Now, here's the thing, though. When I say that, I think that sounds daunting for a lot of people, honestly. I think people even might have a kind of a visceral reaction to that because I think a lot of people think that means I got to carve out this huge chunk of my day and I got to find my quiet place and got to you know, dedicate this specific time to God. And yes, do that and make a habit of that, no doubt. But prayer is much more like an ongoing conversation. That's what it is. I know it sounds like a cliche, but it's just talking to God throughout the normal course of your day, throughout the normal course of your hours. That's what it's about. We overcomplicate it so much that we then kind of avoid it, right? And and so we need to regain perspective. In fact, a wise man recently said, prayer is not a superficial experience of religion. It's a seeking and finding, a sitting and gazing It's talking, pleading, listening. It's smiling, crying, resting. It's simply an attentiveness to God that marks true relationship. Highlight that last sentence. It's an attentiveness to God that marks out a true love relationship with somebody. That's all prayer is. We don't need to overcomplicate it, okay? In fact, um, you think about even like a marriage relationship. It's the difference between like talking to your spouse, having an ongoing conversation throughout the day. Maybe you text and kind of check in on how the day is going. You call them and you make sure dinner's set and what the evening's gonna look like. And then you get home and you spend time and you, you know, have this constant, dialogue. It's that versus not talking at all through the entirety of the day and and then setting aside 30 minutes before bed to kind of like check in on on how the day went. 
Now, the truth is, is both of those in their own way are good habits, right? But the former is much more indicative of a healthy relationship, right? Because again, it points to, to thoughtfulness. It points to attentiveness within a love relationship. So listen, pray every day. And what that means is have an ongoing conversation with God throughout the normal course of your day. Every one of us can do that. And as you do that, I want you to try to implement three things, okay? Get, get your notes ready. Make sure you apply this. This is important. Let me say this as a quick side note. I'm talking about a relationship here, so I'm not trying to like mechanize things or create a formula for you, okay? Again, I don't want to overcomplicate it, but again, even in a marriage relationship, we do read books on how to be better husbands and wives, right? We go to counselors to try to give us practical ways to improve. It's the same thing here when it comes to our relationship with God. So do these three things in prayer. First off, enter into it with thanksgiving, Thanksgiving, okay? I would encourage you to, to at least start your day with this type of dialogue. And, and simply what that means is thank God at times throughout the day when you find yourself to be appreciative um, or when you find yourself to kind of just be full of joy or maybe you got a smile on your face or something good. Whatever it is, just thank God in that moment. And that will start little and it will begin to surprise you what you're actually thankful for. Like all of a sudden you'll be like, wow, God, you know what? Thank you for this job that you've given me. I know it's terrible at times. I know that it's a wreck sometimes. But you know what? Thank you for this job that provides for my family. Thank you for this person and this relationship you've put in my life. They make me better. They fill me with joy, right? Whatever it is, just thank God for it. And as you do that, that will grow and grow and grow. Your eyes will be more and more open to truly how blessed you are. That's what will happen. All of a sudden, little, big, everything in between, you'll see just how much God's favor is upon you. And the truth is, for some of us, that's all the perspective that we need. We need to open our eyes to how blessed we truly are, and this will be a great way to do that. So begin with thanksgiving. Second thing is supplication. And what I mean when I say that is simply personal prayers for God to supply your needs, okay? Whatever it is, when you find yourself to, to, to be needing something, when you need help, take it to God in prayer. And it doesn't matter what it is. God, give me strength as I head into this meeting, right? Like I'm, I'm feeling anxious. I'm feeling a little worried. Just give me the strength. Or God, give me a word to say in this conversation to help this person. Or let the fruit of the Spirit be on display. Or just help me get through the day. Whatever it is, take it to God in prayer and watch as he works it out on your behalf. And then here's the third thing, intercession. Okay? That simply means praying on behalf of others. Um, and this is a big one, all right? This is really, really big because the truth is, is constantly we are surrounded by needs, constantly throughout every single day of our lives. And, and the truth is oftentimes we're actually called to step in and provide for those needs, to actually be the hands and feet of Jesus in those moments. But other times we're simply called to pray. And so anywhere at any time for anyone, intercede on behalf of the people around you. They don't have to even know it, right? Just intercede on their behalf. Sometimes what happens for me is somebody will pop in my head and I'll say, God, would you just encourage them today? Like just give them joy unspeakable, whatever, you know, just give them what it is that they need. Maybe you know somebody who is hurting, right? And, and just, just pray for God's healing. By your wounds, we are healed. It doesn't matter if it's physical, emotional, doesn't matter, would you heal them in this moment. Whatever it is, take that to God in prayer. 
what's really neat about this is over time, those will begin to grow and grow and grow. And what started with like a random person and a random thing will like turn into a whole people group and then will turn into a whole nation and then will turn into the entire world. Like you'll get bolder and bolder with your requests as you see the needs of people around you, trusting that God will take care of it. Here's, a, I think, an interesting way to maybe ground this for you and think about it. Like what if Jesus physically in the flesh was walking beside you throughout the entirety of your day. Just think about that for a moment. Obviously, you know, that would do a lot for our behavior and our attitude, but, but even just when it comes to prayer, right? Just think about it. Like if you walked by somebody who needed something and Jesus was standing right next to you, would you just walk right by? No. Hey, Jesus, you think like you could do something about this, right? If, if you're heading into a meeting and you're anxious about it and Jesus was standing right next to you, would you be like, hey, you know, can you help me out? Like, just think about every moment of every day if he were right there with you because he is, then, then what would that do for your prayer, right? We have the spirit of Christ living within us and we need to act like it. Here's what's really cool about these types of prayers. Oftentimes, this alone will begin to cure you of your stress, of your worry, and your anxiety. Think about it. As you enter into Thanksgiving, all of a sudden your perspective will change from what you don't have to what you do have, right? All of a sudden you'll start to know, oh my goodness, I am so blessed. God is truly reigning his favor upon me. As you enter into supplication, all of a sudden you'll begin to, to realize I can actually like trust God with these things. I don't have to hold on to them. I can let go and trust that he's gonna take it. As we enter into intercession, we'll get our eyes off of ourselves and actually amplify the needs around us, counting others more significant than ourselves. As we do this, all of a sudden, slowly but surely, our anxiety will begin to lighten. Our, our worries will begin to fade as we get a good and right perspective. This is why Peter says, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Just take all of that and give it to him. Trust in him. Bring it to him in prayer and watch what he does with it. Paul puts it this way in a different letter of his, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. He says, rejoice always. Pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. He basically just summed up my message thus far in that set of scriptures. But he says, pray without ceasing. Again, it's this ongoing conversation that we have within a love relationship, and that's what we ought to do. So we need to rejoice. We need to pray. Here's the third and the final action. We need to dwell, to dwell. This is what he says in verse eight. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Other translations say, think on these things. That's what Paul is really trying to get us to understand. We need to put our minds on these things. This is really, really important. Please lean into this. The first implication that Paul is showing us is that we can control our thoughts. Most of us don't realize that. We're not thoughtful about it. We're not mindful of it. We can control what runs through our minds. It should not go unrestrained. It should not just be running free. We have the power to control it. In fact, when Paul calls out self-control as a fruit of the Spirit, this is one of the biggest things he's pointing to. Take control of what you think about. Choose intentionally what you focus on. Have some control with this. Now, that might seem obvious, and that might even seem a little bit trivial to some of us, but I promise you it's not. 
I promise it's not, because the truth is, is most of us, if not all of us, spend far too much time and energy on wasteful, if not hurtful, thoughts and ideas. That's where most of us find ourselves. We dwell, but we dwell on the mistakes, and we dwell on the bad, and we dwell on the negative, right? That's where we make our dwelling place. We just spin these narratives over and over again, just constantly thinking poorly of ourselves and thinking poorly of others and thinking poorly of whatever situation we're in. We're just wallowing in nasty, dark negativity. That's where most of us dwell in our minds. And we don't even think about how that impacts our daily perspective. We don't even think about how that impacts our actions and the way that we live our lives because I'm telling you, it has a huge, huge influence. I'll raise my hand. I am absolutely guilty of this without a doubt. I find myself often going down these negative thought patterns for no reason, for absolutely no reason. In fact, recently, I've been kind of catching myself when I'm, I'm doing something kind of mindless, mowing the lawn or driving the car, whatever it is. I'll notice sometimes that my mind is going down these dark tunnels of thought about myself and about other people. And, and, and seriously, it doesn't take, I mean, it's like 10, 15 minutes, I'll, I'll do this. And then I'll finally realize, what am I doing? Like, why am I wasting my time thinking about this and dwelling on this? What is this doing to my heart? We need to take control of this. Again, Alexander McLaren says this, listen, there are people who, if there is a bit of cloudiness low down on the horizon, can see nothing of the sparkling sun above and who behave as if the whole sky was gray. Watch what he says. Do not do that. Don't do that. There is always enough to be thankful for. Lay hold of Christ and be sure that you open your eyes to his gifts. This is a perspective that every one of us needs to apply. In fact, it reminds me of a a story that happened to me recently. This is about a year or two ago. I don't remember exactly uh, when it was, but um, one of my kiddos was having a birthday party. And so every year for their birthday, we will invite my immediate family and my wife's immediate family over and, you know, we'll do the gifts and the the cake and all that fun stuff, celebrate like we ought to, right? And so uh, we always look forward to that. This particular time, um, the birthday party was coming around the corner and the day came about. My, uh, my in-laws live about an hour or so away and they're very punctual, very timely people. And so they showed up about 30, 40 minutes early. And so they're kind of helping us put some of the finishing touches on these things. And before everybody else got there, we just kind of stopped and we were chatting. I was talking to my father-in-law and uh, as we were talking, Um, We were kind of in my kitchen area. I walked over to my back door, which is a a glass door. You can see right out. And I opened the curtains to, to the back. And immediately I saw my yard and it looked terrible. And so immediately I turned around to him. I'm like, I'm telling you, I can't figure out how to get this lawn looking nice. I'm telling you, fertilizer, seed, I've aerated, I've you know, watered like crazy. I've looked at so many videos, spent so much money. I cannot seem to figure this out. And I'm just going on and on and on. He's just kind of standing there listening to me. When I got done, he paused for a second and he said, I think I got a quick fix for you. So I was like, sweet, this is great. Like, I, you know, I'm kind of leaning in, like I'm getting some yard wisdom, right? I'm, it's the wrong seed, right? That's what I'm doing. And, uh, and instead, he took a step forward, he took the curtains, and he closed them. And he said, there, don't have to think about it anymore. <laughs> now, he's kind of a, a jokester, a cut up, so he was kind of messing with me. But that lesson is actually really profound. There's a lot of wisdom in there 
that I think is relevant for all of us. Far too often, we have our eyes gazed out that back door, worried about the bad and the negative and the mistakes. Close the curtain and actually think about things that are worthwhile, that are productive. And that is partly what Paul is saying here. Don't focus on the mess. Focus on the things that are actually positive, that are actually good. In fact, that word dwell is a really important word. I've said it a couple of times today, but that means to reside, to like make your home in a certain place. And so Paul is saying, make your home in these things. Now he rips off a bunch of them, but essentially what he's saying is things that are good and things that are right and things that are true, like dwell there. In other words, make your mind dwell on the goodness of God and the goodness of his creation. Make your home there, right? Um, Make your mind dwell on the things that fill your heart with gratitude and fulfillment. Um, make, it, make it dwell on the things that are true, namely that Jesus is Lord of all and he's given you freedom and healing and restoration. Like make your dwelling space there, sit there and, and rest there and live there. This is what Paul is trying to say. I want you to think seriously before you even leave here today about where your mind typically resides on a normal basis. Where do you typically dwell in your mind? Because the truth is, every one of us are guilty of this. We're dwelling in places we ought not be. And we gotta change that. We gotta take control of that. Because here's the truth. What we choose to think about and what we choose to dwell on will ultimately determine how we live, what we experience, and who we become. That's not an exaggeration. That's not hyperbole. That is a fact. In fact, uh, in Proverbs, it says, as a man thinketh, so he is. In other words, what you think about will eventually become who you are. It determines your perspective. It determines your actions. It will determine your destiny. And far too many of us are dwelling on the bad and on the negative, and so we are, and so our destiny is. We need to change it. We need to take it back. Be transformed by the renewal of our minds. Take every thought captive to obey Jesus. Set our minds on things above. These are all commands that scripture gives us that we need to be serious about. So here are the three actions to overcome anxiety. Rejoice in the Lord always. Pray without ceasing and dwell in your mind on the things that are good and right and true. And then here's the response, verse seven. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. If we will walk in these things, if we will do these things, his peace will guard us. Now, that word guard is really interesting because it's actually in the Greek a military term. So it's actually painting this image of this huge, vast army that is protecting what is most dear to them, like the the king or the treasure. They're protecting it with their life. So what Paul is saying here is the peace of God, like the best military ever, will guard your heart and will guard your mind as you walk in these things. And let me just say this. This is not a like a grin and bear it type of peace. That's not what it is. It is a true, inner, resilient peace. It's the type of peace that surpasses understanding. It's the type of peace that tips beyond comprehension. You ever been in those times where like your life is not going well by every measure and yet you're like, I somehow feel peace about this. Like I I somehow feel okay with this. That is the peace of God that surpasses all understanding and that's what is available to us. 
But then Paul ends with this, verse nine. He says, the things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. Let me pause for a second. Look at me. Practice these things. Practice them. That means you have to do them. You have to walk in them. A lot of times we get this wrong within this context because we think to ourselves, well, we kind of over-spiritualize it. I'll learn this really cool thing and then it'll just kind of happen for me. That's not how this works. We are empowered by the Spirit. We have the authority of Christ, but we actually have to walk forward. We actually have to put these things into practice. So this is what Paul is saying. So so prayer and dwelling on the positive and rejoicing, practice these things, do these things because this is how he ends. The God of peace will be with you. The God of peace will be with you. This is something entirely different from verse seven because it's one thing to have the peace of God guard your heart and your mind. It's a whole different thing to have the very God of peace with you. And I need you to grasp this. Over and over again in scripture, we see this principle. When people are fearful, when people are discouraged, when they don't feel like they can take another step, God will always remind them, I'm with you. I will be with you wherever you go. Do not fear. I am with you over and over again. In fact, go, go Google God is with me scriptures and just read them over and over again and see the context of them. Every single time, it's when people are in need, he is right there with them. And by the way, that's not in, in some sort of like, he's far off looking down at me type of way, or even that um, I'm on his mind or some other metaphor. No, like really authentically, he is with you. He's with you. And, and this is the thing that changed my life forever. This is it right here. I, uh, about six months ago, had a crazy experience, ended up having a a uh, huge panic attack. Nothing like this has ever happened to me in my life. And uh, it sent me down the darkest tunnel of my life. I felt crippled in my mind for weeks. Uh, I couldn't sleep. Um, I-, I couldn't think about anything positive. I felt so isolated. I felt so alone. Uh, Christopher talked about prisons. I was absolutely in a prison of my own in my mind. And uh, throughout that uh, journey, um, first and foremost, this set of scriptures is what began to, to kind of bring me out of that. And I've been quoting these scriptures that we just read every day since. Every single day, I quote these things over my life. But, but there was a moment where things changed forever. I was, uh, I was about to go to bed. I took a shower as, as I was about to go to bed. And I was praying and uh, just trying to declare these things over my life. And when I got to the end of this and it said, and the God of peace will be with you. It was, like, it was like the realest experience I've ever had in my life where he was with me. I, I, like, I could feel him with me. And for the first time that night, I laid my head on my pillow and I actually began to sleep. And it was like, it was like he was sitting there right next to me like, you can rest now, I'm here. You, you, can, you can sleep now, everything is gonna be okay. It changed my life forever. It changed my prayer life. It changed my worship. It changed my attitude. And it certainly got me out of the situation that I was in. So listen to me. When Paul says, and the God of peace will be with you, that is not just a funny line or a cool thing to say. That is true. That is genuine. 
And if you find yourself to be in a place of anxiety and worry and stress, and you can't seem to get over, and you feel isolated, and you feel alone, declare this over your life. The God of peace is with me. He is beside me. He is all around me. He is within me. He is for me, not against me. Begin to declare these things over your life, and they will become a reality. I don't know if you're in a moment like this right now in a time of your life where you need this. If not, there will be. There will be a time where you need this. And so I'm telling you, cling on to it now. Put these things into practice now and watch how God transforms you in and through it. Amen.